already read the text for us, so I'm actually not going to read it because we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to do like a little visualization. I want you to put yourself sort of in, I don't know if it was a room or like a space. I don't know whether they're inside or outside or whatnot, whether there was like noise, but put yourself in the passage, right? Um, Close your eyes if you want. Kind of take a minute and pretend you're one of the guests around the table. There's this dinner that Jesus has been invited to. And we're going to look at this kind of from the viewpoint of one of those other guests that's sitting around the table. So put yourself in the scene. It's probably dusk. It's dinner time. There's probably some torches providing light somewhere, maybe candles. And there's several others that are already reclining around this table. There's a, it's a kind of a U-shaped table. The food has been cooking. What do you see? What do you see around you? What do you smell? What do you want to taste? It's a somewhat formal dinner. It's not just a couple people. There's more than a couple people. And you enter and you see this table. It's shaped like a U. And you greet the host. You do your pleasantries. And then you walk on the outside of the table and you pick a seat. You sit on a cushion or a mat that the host has provided. You sit leaning on your left hand with your head towards the table. And then you recline back with your feet extended away from the table. There are servants that are on the inside of that you, bringing food and attending to guests without bothering guests or making them have to move and get up. And it's the end of the day, and you're really tired, but you're ready to engage in some lively discussion or teaching, maybe, because you've heard there's this new prophet, there's this new guy named Jesus in town, and he's at the same dinner. In fact, he's sitting right across from you. And you've heard that he's come from a day, a full day of performing miracles. He's literally raised a widow's son from the dead, cold, dead, back to life. He's healed people's sickness. He's cast out demons. He's talked to a bunch of people kind of on a plane on the coast earlier that day about blessings and curses and loving your enemies and something about not judging each other. There's this buzz in the air because there's something different about this prophet, and you want to hear it for yourself. So you're taking in the conversation and listening to what Jesus is saying. Then all of a sudden, kind of in the back, you see this woman And you recognize her because she's known around town as a harlot or somebody that's engaged in sinful behaviors. And as Jesus is reclining at the table talking, she sees him and locks eyes with him and makes her way behind him by his feet. And she begins to cry and weep. The tears come streaming down and the tears come pouring over Jesus's feet And she begins to use her hair to wipe his feet, kissing them, pouring the perfume that he brought, anointing his feet, rubbing his feet, cleaning his feet. And you take notice of this because it's it's kind of scandalous and it's extravagant and it's kind of awkward because that's not usually what happens at these dinners. You were excited to see Jesus, this prophet, and experience his teaching because of everything you heard about him. But then you see this woman, this unexpected, or at the very least, an untimed guest, this sinner who you see touching this prophet. And then you see Jesus, who doesn't really seem to be taken aback by any of it or surprised. In fact, it seems like Jesus might know this woman. 
And you wonder if Jesus is actually a prophet, because if he was, he wouldn't be letting this happen. So you wonder to yourself. And then Jesus opens his mouth and says, Simon, Simon's the guy whose house it is. says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And so Jesus goes on to tell this story. He said, there's two people who owed a debt to a money lender. One person owed 50 days wages, and the other one owed about 500, a year and a half's worth of wages. And neither could pay it back. So the lender forgave both of the debts. And then Jesus asked Simon, which of the debtors will love the lender more? Simon cautiously kind of stumbles and he's like, uh, I think the one that owed more. And as it turns out, then Jesus turns to the woman who's behind him. And then he turns back to Simon. The woman is still anointing his feet. And then he says to Simon, you see this woman? Or do you see this woman? Full stop. Jesus says something, you know, to the effect, or the the ethos is, I know you see her. Now really see her. Don't just see what you think she's doing or what you think she's done, but see her. Jesus then keeps talking to Simon, saying, when I came to your house, you didn't give me a towel or water. You didn't anoint my head to honor me. You didn't even greet me with a kiss. But she has wet my feet with tears and wiped my feet with her hair. Jesus is calling Simon out for being a bad host because all those things would have been possible in that day. Jesus then goes on telling Simon, you didn't do any of these things, but she's taken expensive perfume and put it on my feet. You see, her many sins have been forgiven and she's shown great love because of it. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus must have run into this woman before because he knows her sins have already been forgiven. And she's in response, loving and worshiping Jesus with this act of kindness and great love. Jesus then turns directly to the woman behind him and repeats to her, your sins are forgiven. Who does Jesus think he is? Does he think he's God? Only God can forgive sins. This is the inner monologue going on in your head. Then Jesus turns back to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this passage is a little window into the dinner that Jesus attended. The, the Bible doesn't talk about the entirety of the dinner. It gives us this little window at Simon the Pharisee's house. So in this passage, Jesus redefines what it means to belong to the community of God. And Jesus redefines it as acceptance of the gift of forgiveness and responding in faith. Simon and the others around the table were concerned that their proximity, as well as Jesus' proximity to this woman, that whatever her sins were would make them impure, would, would defile them. And Jesus is basically turning the tables and saying, no, look at this woman. This woman is actually loving and worshiping me with her tears and her perfume. And this means she's already forgiven. She's already clean. And so the text says the woman had been forgiven. And so the way that it's written in the Greek, it's very clear that it, it's already happened. Jesus isn't forgiving her in that moment, and then she's, she's doing this act. She's doing it because she's already been forgiven. And so when she heard that Jesus was coming to dinner, she was excited or happy or full of some really good emotion and recognizing she knew because she had interacted with Jesus before. 
that Jesus was not a man or a teacher or even a prophet, but that Jesus was this Messiah they were looking for. Jesus could forgive sins. And so she knew that Jesus had it in him to redefine what it meant to be part of a community. So she's like, I'm going to (laughs) go and I'm going to do this thing. And so today, um, the title of my message is Belonging Redefined. And so today we're going to explore three ways that we can belong to Jesus and the people of God. And so the first way that we belong to Jesus and the people of God is by rooting our belonging in the acceptance of God's forgiveness as a gift and responding in worship. The second way we belong to Jesus and the people of God is by centering the people that Jesus centers. And finally, the last way that we belong to Jesus and the people of God is by going in peace and participating in the healing and the liberation of all of God's creation. So the first way that we belong to Jesus and the people of God is by rooting that belonging in our acceptance of God's forgiveness as a gift, a free gift, and responding in worship. The punchline of this parable, parable is a little story that usually has a point that Jesus kind of tells in the midst of his, you know, dinner, is in verse 47, when it says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus is lifting up this woman as an example because she loved much. A literal translation of the Greek could be something like, your sins have fallen away. They have gone from you. And to say that her sins have been forgiven is to say that Jesus has released her or freed her from the bondage of her sin, from the effects of her sin. And so Simon and the others are questioning Jesus because they're saying, like, if he was actually a prophet, he wouldn't allow this sinful woman to even touch him. And they're alluding to their belief that in order to be right with God, in order to be part of this community, they had to be clean. They had to figure out what was good, what was bad, what should be in, what should be out, um, and what needed to be avoided to stay in right relationship with God. But Jesus is kind of flipping this on its head, and this is pretty early in his ministry, so he's kind of subtle, but not entirely. <laughs> he's saying in full, he's fully accepting this woman that society is not, and saying she's actually the one that's got it right. Okay, so he's redefining both the boundaries and the way through which people become part of the community of God. And this is pretty scandalous in the house of somebody who doesn't really get that yet. And so in stating her sins have already been forgiven, Jesus's primary concern here is not with her sin. We don't really know what it is. Jesus's primary concern is affirming her place and her belonging in the community. And to say to Simon and all of those that are, that are judging this person, this woman, that no, she belongs here. And that her response of gratitude and worship and, and giving is actually recognizing who Jesus was as more than a prophet. And then you have this little like mini parable about the lesser and greater debtor both being forgiven as an allusion to God's forgiveness for everybody, right? Because at the end of the day, can we really measure whether the person that, you know, what was 50 days wages or 500 days wages? I mean, those are different, but like, you'd be grateful either way because it's a lot of money that you don't have to pay back. So Jesus' point was, however it spins, 
forgiveness is for everyone. And while both the Pharisees and the woman might have different ways they have sinned and different ways they have fallen short of what God is wanting, they're both sinners at the end of the day. And the Pharisees are focusing on the wrong thing. <laughs> they're focusing on how to, how to keep that at bay rather than saying, no, that's me. They're not focused on how to actually be back in the right with God. And the difference is the woman has recognized her sin and she's repented and she said, I know this. And she's been granted and accepted the forgiveness that God gives, that Jesus gives. And she responds to Jesus in this extravagant act of worship. She doesn't care necessarily what other people think. She's gone and she's found Jesus and she's like, I'm going to I'm just going to do this, right? She's overcome with emotion, and she wants to honor him. This woman can do this because she understands the magnitude and the gift that this forgiveness and this inclusion and saying, you belong here in part of God. She understands the depth of that. And so she can give greatly and love greatly because she understands the depth of how she is loved and how she is forgiven. So we belong to Jesus and the people of God by rooting our belonging in the acceptance of God's forgiveness as a free gift and being freed to respond in worship. So as you reflect on what you've just heard, as you reflect on this passage, what's your gut response to Jesus' forgiveness? Can you accept it? Or are you wondering if you're really worthy? Can you worship him fully? Or are you distracted because you're wondering about that thing that happened yesterday or you did something the other day or something's going on? And if you, if you can't fully accept it and worship, what's keeping you from it? When you're living every day, going about your daily business, can you love greatly? Can you love lavishly the people around you? And if you can't, what's, what's keeping you from that? Do you feel like you've been forgiven little, so therefore you can love little? While Jesus has already forgiven the sins of the woman, the good news is that this passage is left kind of open-ended. We don't really know what Simon or the other Pharisees do, how they go on, what happens after that. The passage just ends. That's not what the point is. But the passage concludes, we know, with Simon kind of pondering what he just saw. And the other guests kind of murmuring about, who is this Jesus? And so just as Jesus saw the woman for who she was and saw the act of worship that she, that she was giving, Jesus sees Simon. And she, he actually gives Simon exactly what he needs. He gives Simon a little story to chew on. Some of us need a little story, right, to figure out. Some of us don't want to hear it directly because it's not going to happen. I'm like that sometimes. But Jesus gives Simon what he needs and gives him the opportunity to figure out what this woman's already figured out and gives him the opportunity to wrestle with the fact that Jesus, the forgiveness that Jesus is offering is a gift and that he is also able to show great love. So wherever you've landed in terms of your own reflection about Jesus' forgiveness, the good news is that the same possibility is there for you. The same possibility that is there for Simon is there for you, that you can accept and receive this gift, right? No matter how you've thought, no matter how you've been, this gift, that forgiveness is there for you, that God is there waiting to welcome you to say, you know, you belong here too.
So the first way we belong to Jesus and the people of God is by rooting our belonging and acceptance of God's forgiveness as a gift and responding in worship. And the second way that we belong to Jesus and the people of God is by centering the people that God centers or that Jesus does. So the irony in all of this is that Simon and the other guests are unable to accept this forgiveness because they're too busy. They're too busy to recognize that Jesus is actually giving out and redefining what it means. They're caught up in wondering about all the details about why Jesus is doing something they don't think he should be doing. They're caught up in wondering, am I going to get this whatever they think they're going to get? And even further is the irony is that the woman's act of courageous worship is actually what allows them to glimpse this new reality of forgiveness. And so Jesus is lifting up the woman, affirming that her sins have already been forgiven, that she's freed from them, and that her faith and her trust that Jesus is the one that can forgive sins, can release her not only from the bondage to her sins, but release, release her from the way that her society is seeing her and, and scorning her. That's what saved her, her faith in Jesus and her recognition and her trust that what Jesus gives her is enough. And so that, Jesus is lifting her up as a model to emulate. And Simon and the other Pharisees who were likely guests in the room were kind of concerned about purity. But Jesus is flipping that script because he's saying, hey, the Messiah, the king you've actually been waiting for, this, you know, the savior that you're waiting for is actually lifting up the person that you're judging because the gospel and the good news is coming through the one that you're trying to judge and you're missing it. Over the past week, um, the Supreme Court um, confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson wrapped up. I didn't get to catch much of it, but I, I heard and I read a lot about it. It's pretty clear that Judge Jackson is very well qualified for her role. She's had a lot of experience. She's been able to articulate where she'd come from and all the things that a confirmation hearings are supposed to do. It's supposed to assess judicial qualification. And it's supposed to explore and make sure she's up to the task and give the American people the opportunity to hear from a judge or a justice who will be on the court for the rest of their lives. And while some of that did happen, what was more notable was the way that mostly white men tried to demean her and characterize her and tell lies about her and her character and how she was forced to answer their demeaning questions and defend blatant lies about her and her character and her background. If I were her, a perfectly logical response would have been to get angry, defend my record, and set it straight. We saw another justice confirmation kind of happen that way a couple years ago. However, knowing that an unmeasured defensive response was likely to bring more of that vitriol, and it would bring more of the ability, it would create more questioning of her ability to do the job. And at the end of the day, that job as a Supreme Court justice will allow her to influence the trajectory of this nation She took a breath, and she paused, and she tightened her jaw, and then she responded calmly to the ones that were intentionally smearing her name because they could, basically. And in the the face of intense adversity where she was being badgered and interrupted and not allowed to finish, 
She continued to maintain her dignity and her composure and her intellect and her authenticity. This is not like a level of sort of, I don't even know what to call it, offensiveness that we've seen <laughs> before, at least I haven't. And so the sad and the unjust reality is they, what Judge Jackson had to endure was what many black women and women of color have to endure on a daily basis to survive, to endure, to get ahead. And so the woman in this passage was similarly seen and treated with scorn and talked about with disgust by the Pharisees, by the people in power. And yet Jesus is here turning those tables and centering this woman who there's not even a name that's given to her. So in choosing to center this story of the unnamed woman, Jesus is declaring this new way, this new kingdom that he's ushering in. It's not those in power that carry the good news. It's those that are on the margins. And it's those who have been oppressed. And it's those, those people, the oppressed and the marginalized, that understand <laughs> where life and where God is coming from. And so in lifting this woman up, and say, she's the one that gets it. While the other guests are busy disbelieving and murmuring and questioning him, Jesus is centering and flipping the whole script on what people are expecting, on what a kingdom would bring. And so in stating her sins have already been forgiven, Jesus' primary concern is saying, no, she is the center of this community. Um, God's people are directly, God is, and she's saying it directly to the people. It's like, it's like somebody standing up and telling kind of the, the, the offensive people, that senators, that you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. And maybe that's what should have happened by some of the senators on the other side, but that's a whole different thing. In stating that her sins have already been forgiven to the woman in front of all these people, Jesus is reform, affirming and reminding her that you belong here, right? And the faith that she boldly displayed by anointing Jesus' feet is because she knew she was forgiven, and she was loving God. And so we belong to Jesus and the people of God by centering those that God, that Jesus does. And the good news to those of you who are part of the dominant culture and to all of us when we're in positions of power is that there's the opportunity to leverage that power in your voice that you possess to center those that Jesus centers. You can use your power and your privilege to center those that are on the margins. You have the opportunity to use your voice and to take up space or to give up space to those that our white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist society puts to the side. So if that's you, I encourage you to reflect on how you might do that. Because if you think about this passage, how would it be different if instead of judging the woman under his breath. After Jesus said this, Simon were to be like, here, have a seat at the table. And the good news to those, of, to those on the margins, but especially, I think, today, my sisters of color, the good news is that Jesus sees you, that Jesus really sees you, that Jesus sees us and really sees us and doesn't look past us. Jesus sees what we have to hold in tension and all the different people and things we have to accommodate. Jesus knows what we're doing and how much we've done and how it seems like nobody else sees that. Jesus sees when we have to work twice as hard to get the same or less and have to endure the stress and hardship 
when it seems we have not the capacity to bear it. Jesus sees us. Jesus says you belong to me, that you are greatly loved, and that you have the capacity to love greatly. If this is you, I would encourage you to trust yourself and trust the experiences and the experiences of those like you, that Jesus has centered you and those like you. Trust Jesus by trusting yourself. Seek solidarity and spaces that are life-giving. Receive permission to be with your people when you need to be with your people. Receive permission to take up space and to use your voice with boldness and courage and without apology. Because God is working in and through us, even if it's hard, and even when you don't feel like it's worth it, and even when everything's coming back in your face, Jesus is with us in the midst of all of it. When the woman walked into that dinner, she had no idea what was going to happen. She knew she wanted to find Jesus. She didn't know if he was actually going to be there. And when she got there and walked in and saw him, she just, she just worshipped him and honored him. She brought all her hopes and dreams. She brought her baggage and her wounds. She worshipped Jesus with her faith and with her actions because she fully knew she was accepted. And today, we still read about her faithfulness, generations and generations later. So to quote Brittany Poku, who may or may not have been quoting or paraphrasing our mutual friend and spiritual director, Deborah Penny, nothing is wasted in God's economy. God is in the midst of all that is going on. God will honor the work, the sweat, the tears, the frustrations, the scars, and the joys that we come here today with. God will honor these in ways we could never, ever imagine in this life or the next for the good of the now and the coming kingdom. So we belong to Jesus and the people of God when we center those that Jesus does. And then the final way we belong to Jesus and the people of God is by going in peace and participating in the healing and the liberation of all of God's creation. So in verse 50, the last things that Jesus says to the woman are your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is saying that her faith, her immense trust in him as the source of forgiveness and freedom from sin, her own, as well as the one of the systems that have been cast upon her, her faith in him has saved her. And this word for saved in the Greek is not just being saved from the danger of the negative consequences of sin, but it implies being saved towards being, you're being made whole, right? Like your faith has made you whole, has, made, has healed you. So it's not just a saving from, but it's a saving towards something new. And so being freed from the bondage of sin that keeps us from being as God intended us is not just avoiding evil. It's not just to get to heaven, but it's to actually live into a new reality. We're living into this, sa- this wholeness and this healing. Peace might be translated as, as shalom, as God's intended reality, where things are the way they ought to be. And so following Jesus is not just avoiding negative consequences or living in the absence of evil, but it's about living into the good and to the right and to the things and the reality where everyone's humanity, everyone's community, and the whole of the systems of society are the way that God 
ought them to be. And so each of us, each person, each of us is called to do that in some particular way, right? To live into God's peace, God's shalom. We're called to contribute to that in different ways. The way that I'm called to do that is different than the way you're called to do that. We're one body, yet we have many parts, so that's going to look different for each of us. And together, each part is called to function in different ways, in different seasons of life. But together, we can co-create with God and reflect and continue to bring forth that intended reality, and that's good news. So all of us, to different extents and different seasons, that, like I said, that looks different. For some of us, that means examining ourselves and what we carry and what we bring and how we respond to our own sin, to our own brokenness, to our own baggage from our families of origin, to the ways that the systems of the world affect us in deep ways. And in other seasons, or sometimes the same season at the same time, we're called to go and to make peace, right? And to go in the spaces and the places that we're called and to lavishly love others and in doing so create peace. And so we go forth in whatever way God has called us to do that. What Jesus says at the end of this passage is your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think that's actually a pretty good summary of the Christian life in a few words and what it means to follow Jesus. We trust that God has made us whole by accepting Jesus' free gift of forgiveness because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We respond to Jesus in faith, in worship, knowing that because of that, we can go forth and make, be made whole, right? And participate in our own healing. And not only our own healing, but the healing of all of creation and all of God's people. So God's, Jesus sends the woman as he sends us, right? To do the work that we've been called to do, to love the people that are around us, to make peace and create justice in the communities that are around us in all of creation. And friends, this is good news because we're not only saved from a reality apart from God, which on its own is bad enough. We are saved towards a reality. And we have the privilege of participating in realizing the kingdom of heaven as it is on earth, as it is on heaven. And we've been made whole so that we might love others and love the world that God has made, doing our part to usher in the already and not yet kingdom of God. But we can also rejoice. And so when we say go in peace, it's because the victory has already been won, right? Like we're in the midst of all this stuff in our own personal lives, in the world that's around us, pandemic of the past couple years, like we're in the midst of it all. But the reality is, and the good news is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's already been done. Jesus has already brought forth the kingdom. God has already won the day. So it's not on us to make it happen. It's already been done. And so we do what we can for the time that we're here in the places and spaces that we're called. And we worship the God who's created and calls us. We worship the God who's taken on flesh and came down to show us how life was meant to be lived. We worship the God who sets captives free and seeks justice for the oppressed and desires for all of God's children to experience salvation, to be made whole, for heaven to come on earth, 
and to be healed. We worship the God who reigns in, who has reigned, who will reign in us and over us and through us. We worship a God who's worthy of putting our hope in because God has always been faithful. And so we belong together. We belong to Jesus. God has given us what we need to move forward. So as we transition to communion, as we transition to the Lord's table, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read the passage again. And at this point, I want you to again put yourself and see what God has to say to you. And what does God want you to bring to the table today? For some of us, it might be the recognition that God is indeed our Savior, that God indeed has forgiven us all the way, and we need to accept it. We need to open our hands and accept it. For some of us, we might just want to come and worship and be gracious and grateful that we can be here. For some of us who may have little faith today, you might need to come and be reminded that you're part of a body, that you might feel off to the side, but that Jesus has said you belong here and that in doing this together, we belong together and you can live off the faith of the others today. So I'm going to read this and just listen for what God is saying to you. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.